Our Old Testament reading is from the second book of Samuel. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to me, to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's uh, pray together. Father, as we uh, think about uh, this story of Mary, a story that's certainly embedded in the imaginations of many of us over many years, would you help us to read it with fresh eyes and understanding of how we might 
participate in the kind of faith uh, that she expresses in her response to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. All right, so this morning, uh, so technically, uh, right, in the world of the church calendar, we're still in Advent. And tonight, we move into Christmas Eve proper when we rightly begin to think about the story around the birth of Jesus. But this morning, we're still in this other space of waiting. And our last waiting text is this, uh, this gospel reading uh, that we just read of the Annunciation. Uh, and it's a story that is no, un, you know, un, undoubtedly embedded in, in popular imagination. Um, and there, there are at least a couple of problems with this particular story for us as modern readers. And one of them is just our familiarity with it. If you've been around the church, you've grown up in the church, and my guess is that's true of many of us this morning, you have heard this over and over and over again, and it's just so very easy to sort of take it for granted and just gloss over it and miss the troubling features of the story, right? And just sort of go in, let's just move on into the birth of Jesus story, right? But there's a lot of trouble in this that we need to let uh, this story of this announcement, this profound announcement uh, to Mary sort of shake us up this morning. Um, but on the other hand, let's say you've not, uh, you've sort of gotten past your own familiarity with the test, text and you, you read this story and your first thoughts are, impossible, right? You know, and the, we all know that virgins don't give birth to children. We know that pregnancies don't happen spontaneously and, you know, so on and so forth. Our minds begin to sort of fall into the realities of our scientific mode of thinking. And we get stuck in that place of finding the impossibility of miracle to be the thing that very, that troubles us. But in fact, uh, what I would just like to ask all of us to do, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of familiarity or skepticism, to just back off for just a moment of whatever it is you take for granted about reading this story and let it, let it disturb you, uh, maybe in a different way and maybe in a way that God would want to disturb you this morning as you think about your own story with him, your own life with God. Now, uh, so a couple, let me just offer a few observations uh, this morning, things that I've thought about as I've looked at the text over the last week or so. Um, and the first is this, Mary's trouble, right? So right off, the angel Gabriel has shown up to Mary, um, and we're told she's perplexed, right? Or that she's disturbed by this appearance, this encounter with the angel. Now, you know, what would you feel like if you encountered an angel of the Lord, you know? And if you knew the angel of the Lord was someone of the stature of someone like Gabriel, who's always associated with, you know, large stories of, of God's inbreaking future, of what he intends to do in, in that great day when he brings his kingdom fully uh, to the face of the earth, right? So, so let's say you, you knew his stature or you didn't. How would you feel? How would you be feeling in that moment of encounter. It's interesting, right, because in popular culture, popular American culture, certainly popular Christian evangelical culture, there's a weird mythology about angels, right, that, that we just sort of think of them as these pleasant figures who uh, protect us and they care for us and they're sweet and they're kind and they have nice voices and they sing in heavenly choirs. And, you know, there's something about that that's just so very sweet. 
But what's so interesting about this particular story and this encounter, and it was true also of Zechariah's encounter and other encounters, is that when the angel Gabriel shows up or when there's an encounter, almost always the first words of the angel are, you know, look, don't be afraid. Because there's something troubling about the presence of the angel, this messenger of God, who will what? Who will always upend your life. Right? The intention of God's in breaking into our lives, his getting near our lives, his word to our lives, it is always to upend your taken for granted way of living life in the world. And you may think, well, my taken for granted way of living life in the world is a good way. It's working for me. I'm successful. I feel happy. I feel peace. My family's all home and we feel cozy, you know, whatever. You, maybe you feel like you're in that good space, but guess what? When God encounters you, it is always to rattle your cage because we are not God. And he always desires things for us that are greater than our own capacity to imagine them. He rattles us. He shakes us up. And if you're on the other end of that spectrum and you look at your life and you think, you know, my, my, well, it's been a hard year. You know, I was, I was in a conversation just recently with someone and they asked me what, what it was like for me. I said, I had a hard year this year. It was just hard. I said, well, I didn't notice it being hard. But, you know, and so we, I started describing some of the things that I found particularly challenging about my year in life this past year. Look, if you look on your life and you sort of say, my, this was a challenging year for me, or maybe it's been a challenging decade for you, or maybe you just look on your story and your story feels like it's one sorrow upon one sorrow upon one sorrow, by which I mean you've encountered injustice in the world. You've tasted the painfulness, the painful way in which we live life as broken human beings in a very broken world. The angel of the Lord appears to shake up that taken for granted experience of life also and to move us into a space of the reality of God's kingdom come. When God breaks into our world, he shakes us up. Now, Mary, she's a, she's a young Jewish girl, right? And best guesses are she was probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 13. Now, that rattles us, right? <laughs> you know, especially if you're a parent, you're like, uh-uh. Mary's a young girl, and she's betrothed to be married to, to Joseph. So, like, in that era, in that culture, in that time, young girls were often betrothed around the age of 12, 12 and a half, and they were often married around the age of 13, and their husbands were about 14 or 15. That strikes us as just really strange. But in that moment, Mary's in this place of being a very young girl. She's been betrothed to Joseph, which means essentially this. It's, not, it's, it's like engagement, but it's, it's different from engagement. So Mary's been betrothed. That means that Mary's father and Joseph have reached an agreement about her marrying him. And Joseph's likely paid the bridal fee, the, you know, the dowry of some sort. And um, uh, he's paid a fee to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the father. But Mary is likely still living in her parents' household. And so it's in this context that the angel Gabriel shows up uh, to Mary. And he says, you're going to bear this child, the child of the Most High, uh, the son of God. And these are titles that Mary would have likely associated with kingship, with the, the Davidic line and the, the reality of the king of Israel. Um, uh, and Mary, we, we know nothing interestingly here about Mary's 
lineage, right? We're not brought into her family story, her family tree here at this point. Uh, Luke is telling this story as if Mary is an absolute nobody. The only thing we know about her is that she's betrothed. That's all we know about Mary at this point as he's telling this story of her life in this moment of annunciation. But for Mary, right, um, who's betrothed to Joseph, if you heard this news that you are going to have a child, what would be running through your mind, right? If you were just, just sort of empathetically put yourself in her shoes and sort of experience this sort of startling presence of the angel and then the startling news of the angel and, and you're told specifically you're going to have a child, would you imagine this news as good news? Most likely not, right? I mean, of course not, right? Because here we are in this ancient moment of history, right? We, we think of ourselves as, as Americans, right, in this cultural context, that we're, we're progressive, right? We're modern. We sort of understand science better. We understand pregnancy better. We understand the way sexuality works in our culture better, right? There's all kinds of things that we ha imagine ourselves about being far more advanced than ancient people. But here you are in this ancient moment of history, and you're dis it's disclosed that you are about to have a child, and automatically, what would be the things that would be running through your mind? You'd be thinking, I'm, I'm shattered by stigma. I'm not yet married. I'm betrothed, not married. What's Joseph going to think? And beyond what Joseph's going to think, what's everybody else in the society around me going to think? In other words, as God gets near humanity with this promise to bring his king into the world, he chooses to do it in a way that would cloak his story, his story in shame, in shame, in stigma, in question, in gossip. See, at every turn in this sort of narrative, this story of the word made flesh is troubling and will be troubling. It will defy our expectations of what a proper God would do. He will consistently, sort of through the story of Jesus, do things that always upend our taken-for-granted way of being human in the world. So here we are with Mary. She's from Nazareth, a despised sort of region in Galilee, a small, tiny, insignificant village. It is Nowheresville. It is a girl from Nowheresville. And yet the angel of the Lord has appeared to her and said, you will have a child. God chooses to enter human history in a way that will raise questions about God's own self. And we know that just right from the beginning of this moment of Annunciation. Now, the second thing that I thought about as I've read through this a number of times is just Mary's question, right? Um, uh, there's a humble question here. Well, how can this be, right? I mean, okay, how can this be? So here's the thing, right? Regardless of... Um, of where you fall on that skeptical range of can this be, right? What we do seem to discern here in Mary's own question is she understands enough about the way sexuality works to sort of assume that this can't be and that this shouldn't be, right? I mean, she at least is sort of with us in getting the impossibility of what is being described. And so her simple question of this angel is, well, how can this be? How can this be? How can I be pregnant? 
How can I have the, the, the you know, and, and maybe it's also social, right? I'm from Nazareth. I'm not from Jerusalem. I'm, you know, all these sort of things running through their, her own mind. How can this be? And Gabriel's explanation is this sort of mysterious explanation. Well, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. It's, it's actually a fascinating theological explanation if you begin to connect dots in Scripture. So if you think back to the very earliest stories of the Bible, uh, the story of creation, what is the Holy Spirit of God doing? Hovering over the waters. You think about God delivering his people Israel out of slavery, right? Out of slavery in Egypt. How does God lead them? He's present. He's overshadowing something. He's leading them as a pillar, right? Through the wilderness space. You think about this promise to build the temple. What did the Israelites think about God's presence with them in the midst of their, their, their sort of piece of geography? Well, the centerpiece of God's presence, his hovering, the presence of the Spirit was in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And so what Gabriel begins to say here as he's connecting these dots is he's saying, look, the people of Israel and, and, and Mary as a sort of an understanding, you know, whatever level of understanding she had of the scripture, of, of the things that she'd heard, uh, you know, regarding her faith as a, as a faithful Jewish person, whatever she had heard, whatever she understood, she certainly understood that there was a place on earth where heaven and earth connected, and it was the temple. There was a place where the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed, and it was the temple. And what Gabriel begins to tell Mary and what Luke is telling the early church is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. And inside of your womb, you will house you know, God's own self in human flesh. In other words, heaven and earth will connect inside of your very person. It's a really beautiful depiction and it's interesting contrast if we'd read the earlier story, you know, as you think back to the earlier story from Zechariah's encounter with the angel. There, Zechariah is in the temple, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. All expectation that something great could happen in that moment, perhaps. But Mary's about as far away from the temple in Jerusalem as you can get, at least in their imagination. She's in Nazareth of Galilee. And so in this symbolic moment, what is the angel Gabriel telling us about the story of God's salvation? That it comes to all, that it comes to, you know, what, what, you know, just sit with that for a moment, right? Between these stories, right, of the appearance, there's a spectrum of life, center and periphery. And what we seem to beginning to begin to understand is that this word of God's promise of salvation is capable of encompassing the whole earth. It's capable of moving from center to periphery and pulling all of, that, all of that life into the story of what God is doing. You see, something far more important than a virgin birth is happening here. As God overshadows Mary, Mary's body, her womb, becomes the place in which heaven and earth will meet and she will give birth to the Son of God, the Son Most High. Now, third, Mary's faith. So troubles and questions, right? Uh, we would expect those, and, and we see them in this story. But Mary's response as this young little girl, as she's listening to this explanation, 
is astounding because it's absolutely a response of one who will receive what God is saying. Yes, right? Let it be done to me according to your word. Let it be done to me according to your word. We were singing of her story just a moment ago, and we tell her story over and over and over again in the history of the church. Why? Because that response to God is an astounding response of faith. Despite the trouble, despite the upending of this sort of this more or less sort of equilibrium kind of life that I'd planned with Joseph, you know, where we get married and we have children. Mary says, let, let my life now participate in the story of God as you see fit. She abandons herself to what God wants to do with her life rather than her safe plans about her life. It's really remarkable in which she just simply says, I'm willing to play my part in the story that you're telling. I'm willing to play my part, my role, in the story that, that you, Lord, are telling. Now, fourth, let's think about our applications for ourselves. God and our flesh. God and our flesh. Luke is obviously rehearsing the story, not just so that we will know all the historic detail around the birth of Jesus, but so that as the church, as Christians, from generation to generation to generation and year to year to year to year, would rehearse this story and tell this story over and over again, that they would understand that what God wants for us individually and collectively as his people, as his family, is something very similar. He wants to overshadow us. He wants our lives to become a context in which heaven and earth meet so that we become a part of the good news of the story of who Jesus is. He wants to be with us in a way that upends our taken-for-granted way of living life in the world, too. So think about yours this morning. As you've come into the week, as you've sort of prepared for family gatherings, if you, as you've sort of thought about your life, maybe over the last quarter, the last semester, the last three months, the last, you know, the last six months, the last year, as you sort of reevaluate what's happened in your story over this last year or over a lifetime, what is your story? Is it a story of success? Is it a story of shame? Is it a story of stigma? Is it a story of pain? Is, are there places in which you've experienced sort of small T trauma or large T trauma? What is your story this year? What is it? Because what this story of Mary tells me and us is that God desires to overshadow that story in a way that brings us into a new experience of what it means for us to be human too. To bear his life into the world through our own stories, whatever those stories may be. So if you look out on your life and you feel like it's just fine and things are going well, guess what? God would disrupt that for you so that you would understand the blessing of connecting your success not just to yourself or to your ability to finesse something, to your intellect, to your giftedness, to your attachments and your networks of relationships, but that you would begin to connect your experience of joy to him, to his love for you. And if you look out on your story this morning and it's a story that feels like, you know, trauma is larger than it was this, it's larger this year than it was last year, guess what? He would up in that experience for you 
so that you would begin to understand how he meets you in your place of sorrow and he brings healing to your story and your life for the sake of the world as you play your role and your part in the drama of Christmas. What about our questions? Our questions, there's room for them. A lot of the times when I talk to people pastorally, it often surprises me that they struggle to feel like they can just be honest with God about questions they have, questions they have about the faith, questions they have about pain and suffering, questions they have about, you know, all kinds of things, things that have happened to them in their childhood or et cetera, and on and on and on. We struggle to know, can I just be transparent with God about the things that I have questions about, the uncertainties that I possess, the, the, the struggle of faith that I possess? Can I just be honest with God? And Mary's story tells us that the answer is unequivocally yes. Tell your questions to God. Ask your questions of God. Be transparent before God because he knows you and he loves you and he would engage you even at the place of your questioning. And what about our faith? What would it look like for you as you come into this new year to walk into your life story and your sort of unfolding life in the coming months as one who just is open before the Lord, right? Instead of being sort of closed off and afraid of what God is doing or what he might say or how he might disappoint you, that you just with open hands walk around and sort of think, I at least want my posture before the Lord to be like that of Mary. Be it done to me according to your word. May I be willing to sort of live into the role, whatever it is, as large or small or in between as that role may feel to you, or be actually, are you willing, am I willing to simply live with an open posture, an open hand before the Lord and say, be it done to me according to your will. Let me play the role that you have for me. That was Mary's response. And it's the response that God, I believe, wants from us this morning that we would hear that he is a God who would upend our experiences of this broken life, whether they leave us in places of self-satisfied living or places of despair, and we would live open-handedly believing that his kingdom is coming because of the faithfulness of who Jesus is. And we would want it, and we would ask for it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel, that we would think also of how you would encounter us this morning as we continue in our worship. Would you lead us and would you strengthen us to be persons of courage that we would be troubled by your presence, that we would ask questions about your presence, and that we would respond in faith to the word that you're telling us. Would you lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.